This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, January 16, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. We call this episode Mo CRT. It's a double entendre. It means Mo as in more, but also Mo is short for Missouri. And in the context of this episode, we're going to interpret it both ways as we examine critical race theory from a Midwestern legislative perspective. Now, why critical race theory? Well, if you tuned into last week's podcast, we talked with Kenny Zhu, author of the book An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Now, Kenny and I often do not see eye to eye, and when it comes to critical race theory, let's just say that there's a lot of daylight between us. But we were able to discuss it last week and at least have an exchange of ideas. I'm always willing to explore ideas even if I don't agree with them. It really helps to understand where people get their ideas and how you might be able to either learn something from them or perhaps teach them something. As long as there is a commitment to keeping an open mind, there exists a lot of possibilities. Now, I want to make it clear that my mind is not open to every obnoxious idea out there. I mean, I will never agree that the insurrection of January 6th was justified, and I'll never, ever equivocate on horrific events like the Holocaust or human trafficking or anything of the sort. But things like critical race theory, well, I have to admit, I'm open to at least listening. So this week, I committed to listening to some of the arguments on what is, for me, the other side, the side that uses critical race theory as a battering ram for extremist ideology. A perfect opportunity to do this occurred last Tuesday when the Missouri State Legislature live-streamed a special committee hearing on elementary and secondary education. As you can imagine, this is an extraordinarily emotionally charged issue, so a lot of people showed up for this session. The session lasted over five hours and featured a couple dozen people brave enough to step up to the mic and let their views be known to everyone. Now, we don't have time to get into the whole thing here, as I'd like to keep this podcast episode to a reasonable length, so I'll just provide some of the more interesting content. Now, this hearing was anchored by two legislatures, Nick Schroer, state representative from St. Charles County on the eastern side of the state, and state representative Doug Ritchie from Excelsior Springs, a somewhat rural area just northeast of Kansas City on the west side of the state. Now, both these gentlemen sat in front of the committee and after providing their opening statements, took questions from other representatives as well as ordinary citizens who showed up in large numbers. In fact, prior to this hearing, over 1,600 people had filed testimony, which was, I understand, a legislative record. One of the people in attendance was Heather Fleming. Heather heads up an organization known as the Missouri Equity Education Partnership. She appeared here on this podcast last December 5. She's a powerful advocate for the teaching of equity and diversity in school. Now, I have to say I found the hearing very interesting because both representatives, Schroer and Ritchie, Republicans, performed quite well at what I would call rhetorical jujitsu. 
That is, they appear to be arguing from a point of virtue, and yet the conclusions they draw seem, to me anyways, to turn out to be quite the opposite. As a fighting technique, jujitsu tricks an opponent into thinking that he can safely launch an attack only to trip him in the end. Rhetorical jujitsu works similarly. You premise your argument with sound ideas and solicit an easy agreement, but then you deftly hijack that sense of agreement and apply it to a controversial conclusion. It's often very difficult to see this happening in real time unless you're ready for it. Both the representatives at the center of this legislative session use their opening remarks to talk at length about the virtues of learning history. They argued that history is important, but it must be taught in its entirety. Only in its entirety can history benefit young minds by giving them as much truth as possible, even when that truth includes some ugliness. To take it further, they argued that if you just focus on the ugly parts and not couch it in, in the context of the entire arc of history, well, it can become prejudicial. This seems reasonable. I can get behind that concept. But here it is. That was the hook, the very first stage of rhetorical jujitsu. Get a quick agreement. So with that agreement in mind, you would expect they wouldn't object to adding a plethora of historical references to the school curriculum and library. But... No. They draw the line when it comes to what they call an indoctrination mindset that they claim some books and teaching techniques promote. Their concern is that currently very little history is being taught in schools, and therefore any material that does manage to make it into the curriculum can very well provide a distorted view, sort of like putting blinders on a horse. So here's where the second part of the rhetorical jujitsu goes into action. Now, while we can agree that the entire arc of history is important, it's postulated that anything less than the entire arc is harmful. So rather than advocating for an expanded set of history requirements, Schroer and Ritchie would prefer to outlaw any expansive content whatsoever. It's what's known as circular reasoning where the argument's conclusion is used to justify its premise. In this case, they would like to ban additional historical references because there is currently a lack of historical references. Now, they do make an attempt to provide some evidence, as you'll hear in their testimony. Their evidence rests upon anecdotal stories combined with their own personal experiences. I always bristle when someone makes an argument and offers his or her own personal experience as evidence. I mean, the scope is too narrow and it's anecdotal. It doesn't provide any research and instead rests upon our sense of emotion rather than upon our sense of logic. So while I can agree with their premise of the need to teach more history, to me it all falls apart on delivery. Nevertheless, Emboldened with their sense of righteousness, Schroer and Ritchie take it one step further and claim that teaching the topics of equity and diversity might lead children to conclude that one race is superior to the other. In effect, they make their charge under the banner of anti-racism while advocating for educational policies that, well, seem to promote racism. So here's the thing. Over the years, we've all had to trust that the people who are trained to teach our children 
understand how to teach subjects without allowing prejudicial perspectives to take root. Now, has this been successful? Yes, but I suspect not completely. I mean, it's difficult to set aside your own attitudes when teaching children, whether they're your own children or the children in a classroom. To that end, many children come from families that incorporate a racist mindset and therefore are more likely to arrive at a racist mindset from their home environment rather than from their school environment. Nevertheless, this mindset of not trusting teachers has led many, including Schroer and Ritchie, to support banning certain materials from the classrooms and school libraries, as if they blame schools for promoting racism rather than blaming the parents. And in that context, they want schools to be completely colorblind. And speaking of colorblindness, I have difficulty squaring that circle. I mean, how do you avoid teaching history without mentioning inequities and injustices that were foisted upon people because of their skin color or their religion or their cultural background or any other way you use to distinguish people of different categories? This, in my mind, is the fallacy of the colorblind argument. If you have a white kid and a black kid sitting in the same classroom and you're trying to teach them about slavery and how it led up to the Civil War, it's foolish to not point out the obvious fact that the slaveholders were overwhelmingly white and the slaves were all black. I mean, I don't see how you could avoid teaching it without being dishonest. One other noteworthy concept I'd like to bring to your attention before we hear some of the testimony there's a lot of talk about the so-called Parents' Bill of Rights. It has become an emotional spin-off topic from the controversy of critical race theory versus diversity and equity education. The premise is that parents don't already have the right to access information on their children's curriculum, which, as far as I can tell, is simply not true. Nevertheless, the Bill of Rights goes on to say that parents not only get to review curriculums, but also have input as to what goes into the curriculum. I don't read too much into it, honestly. It's not a logical issue. It's an emotional issue. It's not logical because parents already have these rights. They've had these rights since the beginning. But it's an emotional issue because it hits at the heart of what I call grievance politics. Many people feel their lives are out of control, especially with COVID lurking about and, and the debate over government mandates. So when they hear of a Bill of Rights, whether or not it has anything to do with their children's education, it gets their attention and charges them with emotion. It's truly a tempest in a teacup, but it augments the fight against equity and diversity training in our schools, and so it mobilizes some people. So let's listen to the abbreviated version of the legislative session, starting with the opening remarks of Representatives Schroer and Ritchie. Now, to be clear, I edited the content heavily to cut down on the time, so I may have left out some details that require further clarification. If you're curious, you can always listen to the entire unedited version yourself online at house.mo.gov slash mediacenter.aspx. Media Center is all one word, house.mo.gov slash mediacenter.aspx. Just click on the archive videos button and look for the legislative session that was recorded on January 11, 2022. Also, I'll cut in if and when necessary to provide additional context. So here we go, starting with the opening remarks from Representative Doug Ritchie. I have respect for administrators. 
What I do not have respect for is what I have heard over and over and over again. In my capacity as chair of joint education, in my capacity as a representative in general, I have heard too many times from administrators that the children in their districts, that they know what's best for those kids, not the parents that they know what's best, that they're the adults in the room. I get it. I understand there are parents that I disagree with. I have to deal with constituents that are, that are unhinged. I get that. But when parents are working to exert themselves, yes, in the context of even frustration, to insinuate that an administrator knows better for a particular child than that set of parents do is an absolute farce. You show me a superintendent that knows the name and the birth date of the kids that are walking through their halls, and we can have a conversation. But I have yet to run across a superintendent that has even an ounce of sacrifice and love and insight when it comes to the care and the specific needs of a specific child more than that of its, that, that child's parents. There's a point in life when every one of these children in the state of Missouri who are walking the halls of our school buildings where they're going to be struggling, they're going to be kicked in the gut, and it is their parents that will be there with them. It will not be a superintendent. It will not be a teacher. Most of us can't even tell you the name of the superintendent that served our district when we were a child in that school district. Most of us can't tell you the majority of the names of the teachers. I have a close friend who was a former teacher of mine. Tremendous man. We stay in close contact. But of all of the teachers I had when I was in public school, I could tell you maybe the names of five. I am not going to sit here and tell you that teachers don't play a significant role. They absolutely do. Everyone understands that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you administrators don't play a significant role. We all know they do. But this bill identifies very specifically the fundamental priority that parents have in the care and the well-being of their children. And in any context where that authority, right, and responsibility is undermined by anyone in public education or elsewhere, if that fundamental right and responsibility is attacked, we owe it to those parents to say, not on our watch. We can talk. It's a separate conversation about victimization and, and neglect and things of that nature. Those are cases that we all hurt for. But what we're talking about is, the, is the, the vast majority of parents who love their kids, who sacrifice for their kids, who make decisions, who are engaged in their kids. They're working two and three jobs to be able to support those kids. And we are not going to sit here and say that those parents do not Earned, have not earned what is rightfully theirs. The government isn't giving this to them. The government is just simply acknowledging that these parents have a right that we as a government should respect and acknowledge. These rights that are listed are fairly benign. 
There's nothing in here that is controversial. And beyond that, in the latter part of this bill, talking about the uh, transparency portal uh, for what is utilized in terms of teacher training and um, their professional development, that's not controversial. Why would a district want to hide what they're using? I think that if you're a district, you would want your community to know how you are working to keep their teachers at the cutting edge of educating children that they have responsibilities to educate. Celebrate it. Put it out there. What is to hide? Let me tell you what's to hide. When you have districts, I will not name them, but we all know the districts in our state where they are encouraged to conceal what they're teaching. We just call it something different because we need to get around parents. That's nonsense. That is an embarrassment to the academy. Our school districts, administrators, teachers, school boards, who are trying to do it right. And in the, one, the conversations I've had with those who are trying to do it right, they're not threatened by this. The testimonies that you will have coming in front of you who seem to indicate that they have a problem with this, I've got questions for them. Because if you're doing it right, and if you're trying to do it right, nothing in this bill scares you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Representative. Thank you, members of the committee, for taking time today. For the record, um, Nick Schroer from uh, the 107th District on House Bill 1474. This is something, as the uh, chairman of the Joint Committee on Education indicated, we've been working on for some time, and we plan to um, merge these two bills together and include other provisions that are out there that were not addressed in here. So as the, uh, as the chairman, one of the chairmen, uh, indicated in this bill, this, this is about accountability and transparency to those taxpayers that are funding these educational institutions. As Representative Ritchie indicated, a lot of these rights are benign. A lot of these rights, from what I've seen after we put this out in, um, in this bill, has been addressed by the media. A lot of the pushback is, well, we don't need this. Parents already have these rights. Well, that's great. Let's at least allow them to be emboldened, to know these rights, to go in there and be the parents that they should be. And I remember growing up, I had friends that, you know, their parents were working two, three jobs. They weren't there. And I remember certain teachers saying, look, I've never seen your parent come into a parent-teacher conference. What we're trying to do, and you can't legislate parents to be involved. You can't legislate parents to be active. I wish we could. And that would solve a lot of the issues that we have involving crime and other issues in the state. But what we can do is empower these parents to know the rights, the Bill of Rights, so to speak, the, the, the minimal rights that they have when it comes to the education of their children. So within these two bills, a lot of the uh, provisions are identical. A lot of the provisions are similar in nature. Uh, in, my in my bill, uh, what we have not addressed, which has been brought to me by members of the committee, uh, is different discrimination that's occurring on a, uh, I guess, vaccination status. So that's something that could be uh, addressed in this. Costs of sunshine requests and outstanding requests uh, from certain school districts in the state of Missouri. 
and also uh, whistleblower protection for teachers across our state. Those are provisions which I am very much open to, and I think I can speak on behalf of uh, my colleague here. I think we're both very open to including those in here. Uh, we also included a provision on uh, non-disclosure agreements, which we've seen in other states within our nation. We're hoping that that is not occurring within the state of Missouri, and I think it's common sense that no school district or public school should require a non-disclosure agreement just to view curriculum or educational uh, items. And lastly, we've got the provision on 173.53, which is the exact language, uh, and I did that for the purposes of, of being concise and just going where we left off, the exact language on curriculum implementing critical race theory, uh, which we debated on the House floor in 2021. So with that being said, you know, I think it's very clear uh, there's been a lot of grassroots groups of parents and students blossoming all over the state of Missouri. And in St. Charles County, in St. Louis County, I've been to many town halls and listened to, uh, to concerned parents, concerned taxpayers, concerned students. And I think what we are trying to do with these bills uh, is address those concerns and empower the, these parents to, to take an active role in the education and upbringing of their kids. Nothing more, nothing less. So with that, if my colleague has nothing further, i uh, be open for questions. Okay, uh, thank you uh, both for um, your testimony. Um, I, I wanted to ask you all, uh, one common theme that I've been hearing since this blossomed uh, uh, last, I think it was last April, when I first become aware of the, uh, the, the term critical race theory and then many other names it's called now, um, is that the uh, the legislature, mainly the Republicans, are not wanting history taught? Um, can you all um, elaborate on that uh, briefly, Representative Nick? Well, I think it's something that we addressed last year when we had this amendment on the floor, this exact language. Um, and you know, we we heard pushback that we're not going to be able to teach Black history. We can't teach American history, and I think that's. Uh, you know, the, the red herring here. I think what we can do, and I think what schools should be doing, is teaching all history and nothing but. Not fairy tale versions, not politically skewed versions of history. We need to learn, just as I was taught in the Ferguson Florissant School District. And then when I went on to parochial schools, I'm a product of public and private school. I was taught the same history in both. And I think it was a fairly accurate version. Now, granted, there were, there were pieces that as I grew and went to college, went to law school, I had to do research to find different facets of history that necessarily weren't concentrated on. But you can't get the history from 1700s pre-America when we were the colonies, when we were under uh, the king's control, so to speak. You can't get all of that in uh, just several years of education. So that's why I, I do, uh, you know, my own children and, and my cousins, nieces, and nephews, I encourage them to do their own research and, and expand uh, on history. But that's something that I, that I firmly believe should be taught in these schools. I, I think we need to concentrate on reading, writing, and arithmetic. I think the, the core policies and, and positions that will embolden our, our children to be successful members of society, instead of focusing on being social justice warriors or political activism, which we've seen and we've heard testimony this past year that is occurring in these schools. 
So let's get back to the basics. Let's learn the full history. And I believe that there's nothing in this bill. I have not seen anything in my colleague's bill that would prevent a, a full teaching of all history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Representative Doug Ritchie. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of liberal arts education. And um, I have had to uh, hold myself back from breaking into a chuckle when I have been accused as many times as I have of um, standing in opposition to the teaching of history, the teaching of accurate history. Um, to that, I, I say that's just simply not true. I was bit by the history bug a long time ago. I love history. And I think actually we are doing history a disservice uh, in the state of Missouri. As I have looked into the way that we approach history education in the state of Missouri, um, when we open the door to standards-based um, uh, testing uh, in certain content areas, but not in all of the content areas, uh, we put districts in a position where they were going to uh, channel their resources and, and, and efforts toward those areas they were being assessed. When you assess in some areas but not in all areas, those areas that are not being assessed by requirement, uh, those begin to get um, prioritized in a, in a lesser degree. Right now in the state of Missouri, in the four years that a student is in high school, there is only one unit of history that's required. Now, there are some districts that will add to that, but they do so on their own. But there's only one that the state of Missouri requires, and it's not assessed unless the district wants to be assessed. So you can go four years in the state of Missouri and uh, be exposed to one unit of history. And you know what that unit of history focuses upon? Post-reconstruction to the present. That's it. You have people that move to the state of Missouri, and they've got a student that belongs to them, and uh, they, that, that student is a freshman, and if they came from a state that was doing things a bit differently, that student could end up going through their high school education, and the only history that they're actually required to have to interact with is post-reconstruction. I was in a forum with some parents, and, and a parent got up, and she actually disagreed with my position on critical pedagogy, but she made the comment that she wasn't taught about uh, the Civil War. And when I referenced that, I was laughed at by educators in Missouri until we had a hearing not too long ago, and we confirmed the fact that it's entirely possible for a student like this lady claimed to be to go through their entire high school um, experience and not be exposed to the Civil War because all they're required to study is post-reconstruction to the present. So uh, I say teach history. We are actually looking at trying to make sure that, that if we're going to assess anything, if we're going to assess math and reading and science the way that, that we ought to at this point, you know, in, in the state of Missouri, we're going to assess history. We're going to assess it. And we are going to, we're going to require that districts are teaching in, in a way that is clearly tied to original source documents, to primary sources. We want the full arc of history taught. We want, we want the classical period taught. We want, we want the period coming up and into and including the Renaissance. Uh, we want the reformational period taught. We want the founding era of our country. We want, we want it all taught. The problem that I have, speaking personally, 
is when we grow anemic in history, which we have, and then we begin to put in front of students a neo-Marxist redaction of history and claim that it's accurate, complete history, no one knows any difference because we have grown anemic in history. But when you know history, when you love history, when you're a student of history, and you encounter a neo-Marxist redaction of history, you're like, oh, hold on a second. That, that is a complete misrepresentation. You're, you're, you, don't have, you don't have any basis for this, but it fits very perfectly in a postmodern world where they don't have to prove anything because we don't like definitions. So I say teach history. I say teach all of history. I teach the full arc of history, uh, but not a neo-Marxist redaction. Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll open it up to questions from the committee members. Representative Brown. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Representative Paula Brown is a retired school teacher. I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't believe parents should be involved in their education. 31 years, I begged for parents to become involved. With that said, my concern with the bill isn't really about that part of it. It's it's sort of the management piece of it. You, you know, I tend to lean pragmatically. So when I look at the definitions, there there aren't any definitions. And I'm curious as to, A, who's going to create the definitions? B, let me speak from where I come from. I have four major religions in my subdivision. And there's only 50 houses. So whose rights... Whose concerns come first? I mean, we could really look at, be putting teachers and kids in a predicament when I have 20 kids and I have four different views and we're to match all of those. So are we going to work on that so that we can provide some real definition and, and be able to support teachers as they move through this? And, and let me finish. I have one more piece of it. When we put some of these pieces in place, we are setting people up to just be in court. And that is a big concern. I know you don't want to create the lawyer's dream bill here, and neither do I. So are we looking at working together on this bill to, to make some changes that are manageable? And I hate to be that way, but to support parents, but to support education in general, and the reason that we have public education I think we need to address a lot of this. Representative Doug Ritchie. Thank you. I, and I, I, I share your, your uh, interest in making sure that things are properly defined. Uh, words matter. Definitions matter. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why um, I, I think that uh, this uh, conversation more broadly is so very important. Um, let me give you an example. Okay. Um, on page 3 of 195, so on page 3 coming down to line 77 and following. Uh, there have been some questions in terms of how do you define divisive or controversial topics, right? I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Um, who, gets to de- who gets to define that? What is the definition of that? When, when you read the, this, this portion, it's regarding a form that's sent out to parents right at the beginning of the school year that allows a parent to ask for notification in advance by the school attended by the parent's child whenever a a teacher intends to teach a divisive or controversial topic that may conflict with a parent's belief 
that all persons, regardless of race, you know, so on and so forth, right? So who gets to determine that, right? Are we going to put teachers in a position where they're having, okay, am I, doing, am I teaching something divisive, right? Well, I think that the, the, the way that this um, can function in a way that is both, both respectful of the parent's right as well as the difficulty for a teacher in a classroom to know if something might come up, right, is to say that in this form, whenever that form goes out to the parent, the parent indicates, yes, I would like to have notification in advance. But on that form, then the parent would have the responsibility, because parents are to be responsible. If the parent wants wants to be notified in advance of something that's controversial, the parent has to define that. So... If, if I want to be notified and I say, yes, please notify me, then the next question is, okay, in what areas? What, what elements of, of content do you believe to be controversial or divisive from your perspective that's identified in, in, this, in this statute? So at that point, the parent would say, yes, I would like to be notified. I would like to be notified if, if a teacher is going to be teaching uh, in a way that identifies somebody who has an inherent characteristic is is um, guilty um, without any personal activity on, on their own, whatever, right? So the parent then identifies the topic that in their estimation would be controversial, and then the, the school would notify them. Um, it would not be, in my estimation, uh, good to leave that to a teacher because there's no way for the teacher to know how to define that. Thank you for that explanation. I'm not sure we're on the same page yet. I hope we have more conversations. Representative Christopher Nelly is next, a Republican that serves parts of St. Charles County. Uh, to inquire of Representative Schroer Please on proceed. 1474. Um, so, uh, Representative, I, I think you and I largely agree about the merits of, of some of the things like the 1619 Project and uh, some of these other uh, curriculums that have been introduced into our public schools. And I share your strong opposition to any attempts to indoctrinate children uh, through curriculum. The, the goal of education is not to implant particular perspectives into the students, but to allow them to explore different perspectives for themselves and come to their own conclusions. And I think anyone who, who doesn't believe that there's a level of indoctrination occurring in government schools across the state of Missouri is deluding themselves. However, I, I'm concerned about the, the practicality of implementing the latter part of your bill because it, it just seems unworkable to me in certain parts for instance, it, you list out, you know, the 1619 project uh, and all these other types of curriculums and say that no school shall teach any of the claims, views, or opinions from those curriculums. But couldn't you conceive that those curriculums could include certain uh, general claims or views or, or facts that might be entirely appropriate to a teach in a public school and and then what happens when when a public school teaches one um have we prohibited a, a whole a whole category of of thoughts from from entering the public school just because they were mentioned in an outside curriculum over which we have no control 
Well, I know that was a point um, on the House floor last year in 2021 when this exact language was brought up in the amendment. Um, I believe Representative, the, the chairman, I think, had a, a piece of that bill, too, that was amended. And that was a point that I brought up, that I am very much open to taking the good topics. And I'll just say, look, racism is bad. That is something that I think is universally in some of these uh, that I think we can dissect and say, no, we should be teaching the fact that racism is bad. Uh, we should be teaching that slavery did uh, occur and is still occurring in uh, in the world today. So, yes, I am opening uh, open to addressing that. Um, I think the, the reason I use this language is a springboard off of the debate that we had for over an hour last year on the House floor and build off of um, the ideas that were that were brought up then. So, again, I am open to fixing this language, but I think the, the overarching concern here is the indoctrination that we are seeing in our schools and how to address that. And, the, the you know, curriculum implementing critical race theory, as it is on page two, indicates it says... Uh, includes but is not limited to the following. So it does list the 1619 Project. It does mention other programs uh, that, that are similar in pushing forth this critical race theory, which stems from the Frankfurt School and critical uh, studies, critical theory. So uh, I think, the again, the overarching concern is to not replace uh, the, the true and factual history that we've seen in not only the United States but world history with some sort of cultural Marxism uh, replacement that is stemmed from the Frankfurt School. Certainly, I, I, I understand what, uh, what your goal is, and uh, I think that, that we're in alignment on, on your goal, uh, which is to prevent political indoctrination. Uh, but the practicality of, of, of how this bill attempts to get there uh, raises still an, a number of questions in my mind. Uh, for instance, uh, it says that schools cannot classify persons into groups for any purpose. Um, that, like how do you how do you teach about the civil rights movement without classifying people into groups for any purpose whatsoever? Well, and that's you know when you look at number one and two, uh, that's where it is applying. So, so just going through this um, this curriculum, identifying people or groups, entities or institutions in the United States as inherently, immutably, systemically sexist, racist, biased, privileged, or oppressed, and employs immutable inherited or objective characteristics such as race. So those qualifiers then go down to uh, defining a person's identity. Okay. I, I, th that, uh, that resonates with me. So you're saying you're qualified by the, the previous section. So uh, I understand uh, that portion. Um, so, for example, in one of these programs that, that we saw in the Francis House School District, uh, there were some teachings that you know, certain classifications of people with a certain skin color are, so to speak, oppressors because of the color of their skin. That type of teaching would not be allowed under this bill. Sure. And so uh, my final question, because I know there's a lot of people that want to talk. Uh, do you, In your view, is there no role for uh, teaching, you know, an array of options? Sure, they, they offer uh, the view of, of the 1619 project, but they offer also alternative views at the same time if they choose to, to introduce some of these criteria. For instance, when I was in school, uh, I learned both about uh, Karl Marx and I learned about the views of, of Mises and Hayek and Friedman. And it was through that process that I came to my own views and my own conclusions. And sure, we could have banned Marxism from all the public schools, but I would be a less articulate legislator were that uh, 
policy to take effect. So could you get to a place where um, we have a system that requires the teaching of an array of ideas without the promotion of one particular set? Well, I think that's the goal of my colleague and I here, uh, is to ensure that our, our students are, are learning how to think and not what to think. And being able to learn about history, we can make our own decisions and, and determine, okay, is Marxism good? Is communism good? Is capitalism good? And I, I learned the exact same. I learned the, the, the wide array uh, throughout history, and I made my own educated decision. But we, I had a teacher at that time that um, presented the facts as such without any spin on it whatsoever, uh, without letting us know that capitalism is bad and, and has caused the destruction of so many of a certain skin color. And that's what we've seen uh, in certain schools and parents addressing those concerns, saying, how can we at least present the facts, present the history without the spin? And that's why we're here. We spent over an hour uh, debating this last year to figure out how we can address it without, quote unquote, book banning or without stopping kids from expanding their thought. I think what we need to do is encourage kids um, to go above and beyond what we are teaching them in the schools and to dig deeper into, into history, uh, learning from the good, learning from the bad, so we don't repeat the bad. And I think uh, this bill in no way or is trying to stop kids from thinking. I think it's, it's trying to prevent educators, prevent institutions from flooding kids with a certain train of thought, teaching them this is the only way to think about these situations and expanding the curriculum uh, to cover history as it actually happened. I think that is a goal of both my colleague and I. Thank you, Representative. I, uh, I think that we have similar goals. Uh, I think that we have a lot of work to do to get, get the, this particular language to match those goals, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to work with you through that process. Representative Can Doug I, Ritchie. Just real quick, uh, one thing. The, what is complicating this discussion is it's not, it's not necessarily just a question of content. It's the application of these concepts in pedagogy. So teachers have a, have a tremendous influence in the classroom for good. But that tremendous influence can also be used in other ways. And unfortunately, we have some teachers that are bringing activism into the classroom. And in their pedagogy, they are applying the concepts of critical race theory. And it's what I've been calling now for several months, and long before me, people have been writing on this, critical pedagogy. Uh, so they're, they're actually applying the principles as they teach, uh, immersing students in a world that is, that is already adopting these concepts as if they are already tried and tested. And that's the problem. So um, I think that I, I will definitely be um, willing to work with, with anyone on trying to get to a point where there's clarity on, on this question of the pedagogy, uh, because we need to be able to teach the Holocaust, right? We need to be able to talk about 1930s Germany. We do, absolutely. Uh, we need to talk about, you know, what led to the Civil War. We need to talk about what was going on in Africa uh, during the... The, uh, the slave trade. So th these are things that have to be discussed and taught. It's a matter of pedagogy that we have to drill down on to make sure that we're not having the application of these concepts that, that leads to a, a damaging of, of our students. So. Representative Maggie Nurenburn addressing Representative um, Ritchie. I also want to say that I, I, I know that you and I both have a very deep love 
and deep passion for education. I know that you care deeply about your community. We both are from Clay County. We, deep, we care deeply about Clay County. We care deeply about what is best for our students and our families across this state. So I say all of that because I feel like on the record, I also have to say this. I am the mom to three kids. Two of them are old enough to be in our public schools, and one of them will soon be there. I was also an educator for 13 years with a really diverse um, experience from being a paraprofessional, from being in our traditional public schools, and I was also in uh, one of our best charter schools in the state for five years. I know how important parental interaction is in education. I am deeply invested in the education of my own children. When I was a teacher, I did everything I could to promote and encourage and reach out to the parents of my students so that they also would be invested in education. We know that this, this parental, but also community engagement, it's really key. It is key to ensuring that our education is of the highest quality possible for all of our kids. Most of the rights that are supposedly created in, or in this legislation we know already exist, and both of you essentially alluded to that. But what I see this legislation doing is enacting extreme policies under the guise of parental rights. These bills actively harm a student's ability to progress through reading and social studies curriculum. We know that we have to be subjective and critical when it comes to teaching history, when, it talks, when we teach the Holocaust, when we teach slavery. These laws would create a chilling effect on teachers who would be afraid to teach anything remotely related to banned curriculum. Teachers are already leaving in droves. I believe you were there yesterday when our Madam Commissioner um, explained that teachers are leaving because of lack of respect. It's not just salary. It's also the number one reason is lack of respect, the lack of their ability to be able to practice the craft of education. This is a Trojan horse to destroy quality education. That same quality education that's enshrined in our Missouri Constitution Article 9, Section 1 of our Missouri Constitution states, a general diffusion of knowledge and intelligence being essential to the preservation of the rights and liberties of the people. That's what our Constitution says. That's why it absolutely inscribes the right to equality free education in this state. Again, we value parents' rights. We want parents to be involved in education. No one is opposed to that. These parents' bill of rights are merely a smokescreen to harm our children and their ability to receive a quality education. I ask that we let our students learn. Thank you. No outburst, no, no applause. Let's move along. Representative Hafner. Republican Representative Mike Hafner. Well, representatives, I just have a couple comments, and in light of some of the questions that have been asked, I'd like you guys to respond to these. So I'm going to start a little bit general, more on a general nature, given what uh, the previous comment that was just done, and I'd like your response to this. 
and I think you guys would agree with me, we have no problems teaching history. There are very, very many examples out there where we can get these points across. But the key is this, is how does this, what is being presented right now within the Missouri educational process goes against existing laws. And what I'm going to say about this, I got a couple court cases I'd like to talk to you about, but it deals with the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. Okay, so with that, I want to give a couple of examples of what's taken place. And the gentleman to my right brought up some great points. I think there needs to be some tightening in some of the language as we go forward with this. So I want to be very clear about this. So I'm going to bring up two examples, and I'd like your guys' comments. So when we talk about uh, within the educational process, some of these syllabuses that are out there, specifically like CRT, uh, some of the other examples that you cited, discriminate by race, sex, national origin. But what's clear about this is when, they're in, when they divide students into affinity groups, the issue is it's centered upon homework policies. And in some cases, I've got examples, it's with math curriculum. That is the issue. All right, that's not equal protection under the law. Another example that I can give you on, uh, on stereotyping is uh, discussing cultural practices or ideologies that are brutal or barbaric. We need to teach that stuff. But here is where the issue comes in. When that brutalism or barbarism is not inherent on an individual person based upon a race or sex, because I'm Irish... I don't necessarily, from 100 years ago, am I doing the same discriminatory practices as those previously in my family? And those are some of the issues that are being taught, not only across the United States, but here in the state of Missouri. And I do want to bring up one Supreme Court decision. I know you guys are aware of this, and I'm going to read through the decision. This is what we're struggling with. This is going to be the crux of the issue, Okay. And it says that federal jurisprudence over the years has supported the rights of public school officials to decide which speech is allowed as part of the instructional processes or school activities. Though teachers do not shed their constitutional rights to the freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. And so that comes from U.S. Supreme Court decision Tinker versus Des Moines Independent County School Districts. And what that means is if you have divisive language that is stereotyping over issues such as within math, the school board, the educational process, the administrators have a responsibility to step in to make sure that there is equal protection under the law. And there's other federal court cases. We can go through that. But it comes down to the description and the narrative that's specifically within the bill. And gentlemen, I know I've had just a short time to be able to articulate that with you. I know you're willing to work with me on that. But there's cases out there, not only in California, but also in Ohio, that I think we can follow uh, that can tighten some of this up. What are your comments on that? Representative Ritchie responds. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I don't know that I would have any disagreement with what you're, what you're describing uh, by any means. I do think that um, yeah, you'd referenced previous comments and wanting some, some response to that. I think that... Uh, any bill that I file, I take full responsibility for. And uh, House Bill 1995 is a bill that I filed. And uh, if this is a Trojan horse or a smokescreen, then uh, that would mean that I have uh, motives that uh, 
would be a part of filing this bill to trick people into thinking this is a good thing while I have nefarious intent behind it. And that is just simply not true. So I think my integrity uh, would, uh, would stand uh, in that. I think that uh, we do have a situation right now where there, there, there is already a cooling effect when it comes to teachers. I, I know of teachers who have left the teaching profession because they're conservative and they can't continue teaching in a context that is so far left that they, they can't survive. So I think that um, the cooling effect can be identified as being uh, created by a lot of different factors. Certainly the last couple of years have, have, um, have um, exponentially uh, contributed uh, to that cooling effect. But again, we have to look long term. This bill, the intent of this bill is to create trust. It is not to blow apart trust. A teacher who is trying to reestablish trust with the parents of the children in that teacher's classroom has to be willing to become more vulnerable to gain trust. You are not going to build trust, which is essential to a cooperative relationship between parents and teachers. You are not going to regain that trust that's been lost by circling the wagons and becoming more restrictive and more hands-off. This bill is, is been, I, don't, I don't know how this bill would keep children from being able to effectively learn how to read uh, or learn history. Uh, so uh, I'm open to what you're describing. Uh, I think that as is the case with any bill that's filed, uh, it's, a, it's a starting point for the conversation. So. Representative Schroer. I would just second that. Um, and thank you for speaking with me about this bill, not only last year, but uh, this year as well. And, you know, this this is a reaction myself and Representative Ritchie and others that have filed something similar to the many parents that have risen up saying enough is enough. Our concerns are not being addressed by going to the school board, by going to the superintendents. We have rights and they are being infringed upon. They are not being honored. So I think we can all agree that these are some very common sense rights that we believe taxpayers and parents should have over the educational institutions that they are paying for. And this is, and I've heard, you know, that we don't need a bill because they already have these rights. Well, these rights are not being honored in certain areas within our state. Is it a Trojan horse? Absolutely not. It's to clarify for the superintendents, the school districts, and also the parents to know that there is a minimal starting point and you do have rights, not only as a parent, but as a taxpayer. And I had a gentleman that, that continued to come to different town halls all over St. Charles County and St. Louis County. All of his kids were grown. And he believes as a taxpayer to these school districts that he should have rights too to see the, the curriculum that is being taught, to see where his dollars are going. And even though he wasn't in Francis Howell School District, he did mention Francis Howell Rockwood and others were spending $15,000 at a time to have Dr. LeGarrette King come in and help craft education, craft curriculum, where he stated on record that we can disguise the tenets of critical race theory in a social studies program. Many taxpayers and many parents want accountability. That's what this is for. And gentlemen, I just have uh, one more quick question. I know we need to move on. Some of these court cases that I have here aren't from last year. They aren't from the year before. They're from decades ago. 
We have been through this process before. This is not a Trojan horse. That is part of our responsibilities as legislators is to look at these things. And I think that uh, there will probably be some to come forward and say that some aspects of this are not being taught. There are ongoing issues just outside of my district with multiple school districts with this concept of discrimination and dealing with teachers where comments are being made such as you can't help being racist because of your color. All right. And what we need to do is get to a foundational curriculum where we are actually teaching. Well, that's all we have time for this week. There's a lot more material I could have featured on today's podcast. And if you're interested in hearing the entire session, go to house.mo.gov slash mediacenter.aspx. Click on the archive videos button and look for the legislative session that was recorded on January 11, 2022. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.